0: Welcome to Module 7 of Married Life 911, Separate But Together, How Keeping Your Individuality Actually Helps You Grow Closer Together. Have you ever wondered how it is that you can experience the beginning of a relationship with someone that you thought was wonderful and you couldn't wait to spend more time with, only to find yourself several years later fighting, arguing, withdrawing, and avoiding them? Marriage is wonderful. I mean, I love being married and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but marriage is also intense. I'm not implying that marriage is difficult, just intense, which means things can get out of hand quickly if you don't know how to love each other well. This is why the experience with Married Life 911 is so powerful. You can learn to love better, which in turn helps your relationship succeed. You're about to learn about a common and even understandable mistake couples make when they choose to get married. It's natural to think marriage is about becoming one, where the two of you bond so completely it's difficult to tell one from the other. We're taught how intimacy in marriage is about bonding, connecting, and joining together. But what most people fail to understand is that it becoming one doesn't mean losing yourself. Alternative rock band Lit perfectly describes the progression of what this experience is going to teach you about being too close in the opening of their song, Miserable. The lyrics go like this You make me come. You make me complete. You make me completely miserable. The lyrics continue to describe how giving up self and becoming one with another leads to the paradox of emotions introducing the song. Stuck to a chair, watching the story about me. Everything goes by so fast, making my head spin. Used up all my friends, who needs them when you mean everything. I love the things that we should fear. I'm not afraid of being here. So much the same, it makes me helpless alone. Nothing to share, why should I care if you're near me? I give up all my plans, but who needs them, when you mean everything? Well, no matter how a relationship begins, half the marriages don't survive. So how does a promising affection turn to love, then to animosity, and then to head to the relationship graveyard? Well, I believe what kills most relationships are expectations, projections, or your negative beliefs, limitations, and, most importantly, the loss of self when people fuse with each other in a relationship. Whether these issues lead to divorce or years of self-inflicted suffering, the toll is the same on your heart. All you end up doing is hanging on to a monotonous marriage, even one one eventually you're willing to give up on. Here's how a relationship evolves. If you chart the path of relationships, you find a typical pattern. You're attracted to someone. You muster up the courage to ask them out, or you say yes to their asking you out. You start going out on dates and hanging out together. If it's a long-distance relationship, you text and email frequently and talk on the phone for hours. You both believe that you've found what you've been looking for and you want to spend as much time together as possible. Unfortunately, this is the beginning of the end. Here's why. When you first met your spouse, ideally you were both living fulfilling and interesting lives. Notice I said ideally. If you and your spouse didn't have a lot going on when you first met, the relationship was already in really big trouble. The lives you and your spouse were living before you met were an important part of what made each of you who you were, and therefore attractive to each other. As you spend more time together, you both engaged less in the things you were doing before you met. Some couples spend so much time together, they completely let go of everything they previously found important and fulfilling. Well, As you become, befu- as you become more fused, you become more and more dependent on each other to meet your needs. This leads to at least two problems. The first is that neither of you is the same person the other was originally attracted to. Sure, we all evolve and change as we grow older, but many times we evolve in relationships by giving up ourselves more than growing old. Have you ever wondered how you could initially find a person so interesting, but the more time you spent with them, the more they bore you or get on your nerves? Let me ask you this, did they change, or did you? One reason for the loss of attraction and interest is that both of you changed. Spending too much time together caused you both to sacrifice the lifestyle that made you initially interesting to each other. Your spouse is no longer the same person you were originally attracted to, and vice versa. And the other reason is that you give up the important things of your life, and then you often expect the other person to fill that void. This is a heavy burden to place on any one person. It can create neediness and dependency, as well as resentment and boredom. And when you fail to fill the other's voids, you often blame each other. It's likely, then, that you attempt to get the other person to change and become something that would fill the inner void that you are experiencing. This is actually the essence of a fused relationships. And here's what fused relationships are. In a fused relationship, your options for getting your needs met are limited to the people you're surrounded by or the ways people in your circle approve of. In essence, you're putting yourself in a victim's mentality or circumstance. Getting your needs met is out of your control and in the hands of others. This is a great way to completely stress yourself out and stress out the marriage. It creates dependence on each other that's not healthy. And the more dependent on each other you are, the less ability you have to do fulfilling things outside of the relationship. When couples create a codependent relationship in which they strive to complete each other, they kill any chance of having an evolving, passionate, fulfilling relationship. The more couples become fused, the more they resent each other, try to change each other, push each other away, lose interest in each other, lose sexual passion, blame each other, and fantasize about escaping. In a fused system, there is no I, there is only we. This is the expectation in that everyone should think alike, behave the same, have the same opinions, and want the same things. It's assumed that each member of the system will be there to meet the needs of every other member. In this case, it's the neediest and or the most anxious members that usually dictate how much pressure there is to conform and sacrifice self in a Borg-like manner. Soon after I begin working with a couple, I'll ask, Do you believe that the problems you're experiencing are the result of both of you being too far apart, as in living separate lives or drifting apart, or being too close together, as in fused? Without fail, the couple will reply, too far apart. I then offer how it may, in fact, be the opposite. How their problems are because they're actually too close together. If the couple will accept this view and explore it in more detail as it plays out in their marriage, they often begin to see a dramatic improvement in their lives. Fused relationships fear change of any kind. They exist in a state of constant anxiety. This rigid kind of thinking does, doesn't like individuality, space, passion, integrity, or partners having close friends outside of the relationship. They do not like things because they can't fit them into their needs or their codependency. The marriage becomes dominated by codependency, and nothing else can fit, and that means even good things can't fit. Beyond the already discussed negatives, feudal relationships are often characterized by guilt, covert contracts, emotional eruptions, passive aggressiveness, isolation, secrets, hidden behaviors, and rebellion. Guilt because you're often wanting something different, like independence, and you know your spouse is not likely going to think independently or guilt because you want space, but when you seek after it, your spouse reacts negatively. Covert contracts are simply agreed-upon rules or ideals about the relationship that were not discussed with each other. Here's a few basic unrealistic expectations that run rampant in few systems. Because you're my son, you should always be there to listen to my problems whenever I am sad or lonely. Because you're my boyfriend, you should always answer the phone when I call. Because you're my girlfriend, you should never talk to other men. Because you're my husband, you should, I sh- you should want to be around me as much as I want to be around you. Because you're my wife, you should want to have sex as often as I want to have it with you. Because a clean house is important to me, as it, should, it should be just as important to you. Because I sacrifice so much for you, you should always appreciate me and never get mad at me. The problem with fused relationships is that you have to push back to have space and hold on to yourself in any significant way. This leads to acting out in self-destructive behavior, which is the reason most couples seek therapy. For example, one partner in a fused relationship might want the other to lose weight. And even if it would be in the best interest of that person to drop a few pounds, they will have to push back and refuse to change their eating habits. This is an attempt, and typically people are not even aware that they're doing it, to avoid losing self to the partner's control. They've probably actually been doing this since childhood to prevent their partner from winning scoreboarding-infused relationships. This is the idea that since I did something for you and our marriage, you should return the favor for me. It's the tit-for-tat kind of mentality couples, individuals, co-workers, and children get into all the time. The simple truth? Marriage and life is not fair. If you go into a relationship expecting your generosity, gifts, strengths, love, passion, etc. to be reciprocated and kind, you're going to wind up severely disappointed or angry. When you turn your marriage into a score-keeping relationship, you're forced to enter into a win-lose scenario. The point of keeping score is to win. Actually, Coach Herm Edwards, former head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Jets, said this when asked a question by a reporter at a news conference. ...about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. The only place we ever keep score is on the sporting field. And the only reason to keep score is to see who wins. does this work in marriage? No, because you're on the same team. If you enter into discussion with the idea that you should win, then what does that make your spouse? Actually a loser. And who wants to be married to a loser? Great marriages are the result of two mature grown-ups, both of whom have full, satisfying lives, cooperating with each other to get their needs met. In this kind of lovingly independent relationship, each partner complements each other. They don't complete them. When you approach your relationship with this kind of attitude, it turns into the kind of marriage where you feel closer together for the right reasons and far more attracted to each other. It's sexy when your spouse can live a life independently of you. Try and think of the most needy person you've ever known. It can't be your spouse here, even though this may be true. What are your feelings towards this person? Are you excited about them, remembering fond memories, or is it something different? We know it's something different because no one wants to be with someone they feel tremendous pressure to fix or keep healthy. I believe you don't have to give up anything important to you to be in a relationship. Your hobbies, recreation, friends, family, alone time, passions, etc. A mature, loving relationship should lighten your load, not add to your burden. In order to create this kind of independent relationships, partners have to live within their own life as the relationship evolves. I usually hear some pushback to this idea of living your own life, like I'm encouraging each spouse to live separate lives together. You know what? I am. Spouses should continue to live an interesting, fulfilling life beyond their intimate relationship. Two mature people should take responsibility for getting their own needs met, both with their spouse and from other resources. This is called self-care, not self-centeredness. Yes, a spouse should keep all their sexual energy within the relationship, but they should keep doing the interesting things they were doing before they met their spouse and the things they enjoyed doing without their spouse. This creates healthy independence. We all need space. If you want to kill passion in your marriage, then spend as much meaningless time possible together with each other. Sadly, many marriages are defined by hours together where you didn't need to be together. This type of coexistence tears down the walls of fun, sexiness, and enjoyment. Whether we're talking about art Music, dance, relationship, the tension, passion, and the beauty is in the spaces. People need spaces to have their quiet time and to pursue their personal interests. Everybody has moods, and if we aren't together all the time, we won't take mood swings so personally or get so invested in fixing things for each other. Absence really does make the heart go fonder, and so does healthy space. Think about when you first started dating your spouse. It was the time away from them that made you long for the time that you would share with them. When you were together, you were present and passionate because you knew you only had so much time before you both went your separate ways. You didn't waste time. You took advantage of every precious moment. Space is essential for marriage. It's also essential for eroticism and passion, which we'll cover more in Lesson 8. One powerful way to create a growing marriage is by creating healthy space between you and your spouse. This is from the prophet Kala Gibran, called The Marriage. But let there be spaces in your togetherness, and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it be rather a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Give one another your, of your bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together, and be joyous, but let each, of you want, each one of you be alone. Even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping. For only one hand of life can contain your hearts, and stand together, yet not, too far, not near apart. For the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. The importance of living a good story. One thing that can lead to a fused marriage, and in turn a monotonous life, is the failure to discover that you're living with a story. Let me ask you this, if your marriage were a movie would you want to go see it? If your life were a movie, would you want to go see it? These are simple questions, but difficult to answer. Morning after morning, we begin with the same routine, the same job, the same chores, only to go to bed and repeat it all the next day, the next week, the next month. Life can easily become a series of routines, conversations, hobbies, sporting events, kids' events, date night, sex, Society claims that the answer to what's missing is found in owning the right gadget, car, house, clothes, 3D TV. I mean, imagine, reality TV in 3D. We never have to leave our house again. The reason routines and fusion in relationships so easily take o- overtake us is that we forget we're living within a story. And most people have a boring life because they're actually living a boring story. According to Robert McKee, the guru of storytelling and the author of Story, there are certain rules or principles necessary for a story to be great. Here's the three rules for a great story. One, there has to be a main character that you care about. That's you. How well are you caring for yourself in your story? Your story can be derailed when you don't care about the main character, which is you. It happens when you live through your children, or your marriage, or your job. You are more than a parent, a spouse, and a worker. You are also someone who has dreams as big as the moon. What were they? What are they, and are you living them? Two, there has to be conflict. We've already covered this idea in earlier lessons, but it's worth briefly refreshing this idea again. How much effort are you expending to avoid conflict in your marriage and life? What would happen if you took the risk and stepped fully into the unknown? If you rocked the boat and stood on your own two feet? Or perhaps you've already done this during this class. So what happened? A good story involves a main character who leans into the conflict. Remember, conflict is part of the people-growing process in marriage. And then number three, the story must have a climactic ending. The climactic ending is not your death, but the milestones you achieve in life. The realizations of dreams, the conquering of fears, and the ability to self-soothe. There are many climactic endings throughout life and marriage. Starting your own company, going back to school to finish your degree or to change career paths, traveling around the world. If you're living a boring story, it's no wonder you wake up several years into your marriage and you feel lost. How fun would it be to actually work at talking with each other about the purposeful attempts to create climactic scenes in your marital movie? What if? Author Donald Miller writes about this idea of creating powerful stories for your marriage and offers a possible solution. Ask yourself, what if? What if you asked yourself a series of questions? Things like, what if I ran a marathon? What if I renewed our marriage vows? What if I quit my job? What if I brought home a puppy? What if we adopted a child? If your story has gotten boring, perhaps it's time to ask yourself the what-if questions. Within these answers, you're going to find the keys to a better story. Writing a better story for your life and your marriage. I believe you can create a fantastic, fulfilling story or life and to top it off with a passionate, satisfying marriage. Great marriages are built on a foundation of a great life. The great life is the main story, and the great marriage with the great spouse is icing on the top. Three primary ingredients are essential for living a great life and building the foundation for a great marriage. They are passion, same-sex friends, and regular strenuous exercise. Passion. The first of these three main aspects of a great story is to pursue your passions in life. This is essential. Living passionately means working and playing at what makes you completely happy and fulfilled. Masculinity is defined by this passion. So is femininity. I've heard from and worked with many people who have never discovered or pursued their passions or who have sacrificed them to focus on taking care of others' needs. Trying to uncover and discover passion and purpose is frustrating for many. This is understandable since most, if not all, grew up in fused systems and have co-created these same systems in our adult life. One thing fused systems fear most is passion. Passion threatens few systems because it's volatile and unpredictable. It can shoot a person off in any number of directions, potentially leaving other members of the system behind. Passion can inspire a person to lead a revolution, join a monastery, cycle across a continent, sacrifice everything for a business idea, or fall madly in love. Because of this unpredictability, few systems are extremely resistant to personal passion. Only grown-ups can be passionate. Growing up requires you regularly asking yourself, what do I want, and what feels right to me? If you never ask yourself these questions, you will never find passion. Most people I work with have no idea what they want or, who, or what they need. They have spent so much time and energy taking care of everyone else's needs that they have little to no idea who they are or how to find out. Design equals purpose, and purpose equals passion. Each of us is uniquely and beautifully designed, with specific strengths and capabilities. Work to discover your design. What are you really good at? What can you not do? Are you working towards discovering your design? Your purpose is going to emerge as you do. When you live with purpose, therein lies your passion. As you begin to live a passionate life, it may help to take the focus off of finding your passion, singular. You may, in fact, have several passions in life, some simultaneously and some one after another. So here's two things you can do right now. One. Stop doing anything that you aren't doing passionately. And then two, start doing everything you do with passion. Shave with passion. Do the dishes with passion. Work with passion. File your taxes with passion. Take a walk with passion. Listen to music with passion. Have sex with passion. If you're feeling stuck and passionless, consider going on a vision quest. Go into the wilderness and spend some time alone. While there, ask yourself, What would I most like to be doing if I could be doing anything right now? Work through your what-if questions from above. Dream your dream, and then live it. Passion is essential for a healthy spouse to be attracted to you. Your spouse may want to be turned on by you, but without passion, there's nothing there to light their fire. Same-sex friends. A second key ingredient for creating a great life is having good same-gendered friends. It's easy for life to revolve around your spouse and your kids. But without the foundation of same-sex friends, a relationship with a spouse will become needy and codependent. A spouse can't meet all your relationship needs, nor should they try. When you have good relationships with friends of the same sex, you won't put so much pressure on your spouse to fill you up. Your friends will already be helping you fill your bucket. I often hear society talking about spouses being each other's best friends. While this sounds great, it's severely misguided. I don't believe a person of the opposite sex can truly be a best friend. When couples come for marriage counseling, I stress during the sessions the importance of good same-sex friends. Men need the masculine connection, and women need the feminine connection. No matter how good of a friend someone of the opposite sex may be, he or she can't connect with you and understand you in the way a friend of the same sex can. Heads up, men. The idea of building relationships with other men can be daunting. It's often easier to meet women and to create relationships with the opposite sex than it is to meet and form close relationships with other men. As men's lives change, like marriage, divorce, children, work, and moves, so do friendships. This means we have to keep making new guy friends, and we have to work to stay in touch with the ones we have. It takes ongoing effort, but it's worth it. Women often have less trouble with this ingredient, as they're much more relational beings, but it's equally important for them and for us men. The last one is regular strenuous exercise. The third essential ingredient for a great life is physical fitness that results from regular exercise. This is three or four or five days a week of strenuous exercise. It doesn't matter what you do, but you must exert yourself on a regular basis. Run, bike, lift weights, play hoops, do yoga, play tennis, pilates, whatever you enjoy, but do it regularly and strenuously. Our ancestors got this kind of strenuous physical exercise just by working to survive. Now that most of us no longer have to work that hard, we have to make time for it in our everyday lives. Heart disease and diabetes are just two powerful consequences of not maintaining good physical condition. But regular exercise has several benefits. The first is obvious. It keeps you in shape. It also helps mood and sleep. Of course, being happy with how you look when you are in shape is also a psychological benefit. Another major benefit when you are exercising on a regular basis, the same discipline that gets you into the gym regularly will show up in other areas of your life. You'll become more disciplined with work, in your home, and with your life in general. Regular strenuous exercise helps you confront a major issue that I encounter with many people, choosing comfort over challenge. Many people today choose comfort over challenge. This is why they often procrastinate and are easily frustrated. They do the easy rather than the hard thing. They avoid conflict rather than leaning into it. They fail to live up to their potential, lack discipline, and avoid challenging things. Pursuing comfort over challenge is the reason many people turn to addictions like food, alcohol, and porn. It's why they seek a spouse to fill them up. A great way to think about this is to call it feeding on frosting. As long as you're seeking comfort in life, you'll never find it. Feeding on frosting never satisfies. It just leaves you hungry and wanting more of what doesn't fill you up. Seeking comfort will never take you far in life, and it won't make you very attractive. It's only through leaning into challenge that you grow, feel complete, and look attractive to the opposite sex. Putting this all together into a great movie or life. These are the three main ingredients for making a great story. You don't have to be rigid about any one of these. You just have to stay conscious of keeping them in a floating balance. If you start feeling lethargic, unmotivated, depressed, addictive, or needy, See if you've been neglecting one or more of these ingredients. If so, consciously get them back into balance. You don't have to do things perfectly, but working at them consistently is essential for living a great story. Living a great story also allows you to give your gift to the world every day that you live. When you're regularly applying these three key ingredients to your daily life, you not only create a great story and be more attractive to your spouse, but you also make a difference to the planet. This is your gift. By filling your bucket in a conscious way, you can give to your loved ones and the world from the other overflow. As you take responsibility for living a great story of life through numerous cooperative relationships, you can give to others generously and judiciously. When appropriate, you can make healthy sacrifices from a grown-up place. You can give up something important to you when necessary from a place of love and integrity. And because you have an abundance view of the world, you can give fully without resentment. No matter what life brings you, you can act as a volunteer, not a victim. And then you can choose to give your gift with no strings attached.